But the unique part about today's story is it's actually what Elijah does is less fascinating to me than the people that he is impacting. And, and the person specifically that he is in, uh, that he has an encounter with is actually more fascinating to me than anything that Elijah does. And so we're going to get there in just a second. But before we do, I want us to go to Luke chapter 4. Because even though the Gospel of Luke found in the New Testament happened centuries after Elijah's life, and this actually provides kind of some of the context of what we're dealing with with Elijah. It, it helps us understand the Israelite culture that came to, uh, in a sense, worship this man who was a prophet, someone who was sent by God to share deliver, uh, deliverance or to share uh, prophecies of the future or to, to go and heal or to go and perform different miracles for the nation of Israel, God's holy people. And so Jesus, as he's walking the earth, he has an encounter where he goes back to his hometown and he opens up the scroll from Isaiah and he starts to share with the people of Israel uh, these, uh, these uh, prophecies that were shared from uh, the past years and years before Jesus' time. And then he has this interesting and fascinating encounter with the Israelite leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, where he talks about Elijah. And it gives us some context for who this person was. And so this is what the historian uh, and author of Luke writes. Luke says this in, in chapter 4, picking up in verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Verse 16, he went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, where he'd been raised. And on the Sabbath day, the day of rest, the holy day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That comes from Isaiah chapter 61. And so he's talking to these religious leaders and to the Israelites, and he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah found in the Old Testament. And he's reading these passages that many of them, these religious leaders, would have been able to recite. They would have known the words of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. They would have been able to share and hear. And when, they, when Jesus read from these scrolls, these were the promises that they held on to for years and years and years that this was going to be what God was going to do and who God was going to be like. When he ushered in his kingdom on earth, he was going to overthrow the earthly kingdoms. And so they're hearing this and they're seeing Jesus stand up in the synagogue and read these things and, and, and talking about proclaiming good news to the poor. And talking about freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. And the Israelites are thinking, yeah, this is about us. God is going to proclaim good news to the Israelites who are poor. And God is going to free the Israelites who are prisoners. And God is going to recover the, blind, the sight of the, the Israelites who are blind and to set the Israelites who are oppressed free. Jesus picks up wind of this, and this is what he says, verse 20. Jesus rolled up the scroll, 
gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began saying to them, and this is why the Israelites started jumping for joy, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, God is saying, Jesus is saying, the kingdom come. The kingdom has come. And this is how they respond. Verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? And again, they're excited, they're overjoyed because in their eyes, and, and as you read throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the first half of our translation, it makes sense why they were expecting a king who would come and overthrow all tyrants and overthrow all earthly, overthrow the, the kingdom of Rome, overthrow um, the, the enemies that were trying to oppress them. Because that's the language that we see. We see chariot horses. We see wars break out. We see God of the Old Testament uh, sending out plagues to overthrow the Egyptians. And so they're then promised this in Isaiah that the oppressed would be free and the blind would see again and that those who were sick would be healed and Jesus says hey but the kingdom of God is a little bit bigger than Israel this is what he says verse 23 surely you will quote this proverb to me physician heal yourself and you will tell me do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum verse 24 truly I tell you Jesus continued no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And here's our context for today's sermon. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel during Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Verse 26, yet Elijah was not sent to any of the widows in Israel, no, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. In verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill, brow of the hill and which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. And then I love this. But Jesus walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Let's pray real quick. Hey, God, thank you for these words where we can understand that we fall into the same, same temptation that the Israelites did, where once again, we've made it all about us. And you sent Jesus to usher in this kingdom that wasn't going to be an Israelite kingdom or an American kingdom or a Russian kingdom or a Chinese kingdom, but God, a godly kingdom kingdom of heaven on earth and Lord you've called us in this moment to exchange any idol that we have placed before you whether it is a person a celebrity wealth a material item or even our pride God and we exchange it for your kingdom help us see your words more clearly today convict us through the Holy Spirit to lean on you in your name I pray amen and so Jesus is very clear with the Israelites. Okay? He says, hey, guess what? Once again, it's not about you. And this is kind of what starts to really frustrate 
the kingdom of Israel, the nation of Israel, and why the Pharisees wanted this Jesus guy dead. Okay, because not only was he showing them that the kingdom they had in their picture wasn't what was going to come from God, but then he started to use these all-star people that the Israelites were idolizing against them. And he says, hey, so remember that one time when Elijah, this all-star prophet, this person who you Israelites have placed on a pedestal, remember when he went to a widow outside of the city of Israel in a different area of Zarephath and healed that widow during the famine that you were all experiencing? Perhaps you haven't heard the story, so let's walk through it. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. This is such a powerful, just to kick off our series, this goes back all the way to the Old Testament. And just to give you some backdrop of what's happening here, just to walk through the first 10 books of the Bible very quickly, God created creation, creation sinned, and because of that, they continue to wander and search, and they ended up becoming enslaved by Egypt. Long story short, in the book of Exodus, the first 14 chapters, 15 chapters, we have 10 different plagues that God sends onto the, the uh, nation of Egypt and, and for Pharaoh so that Moses could lead the Israelites out of captivity. Exodus chapter 15 hits, the, uh, the, the Egyptians let the Israelites go in chapter 14, and then 15 hits, and the Israelites start praising God. And then the very next chapter, the first verse, directly following this long song that the Israelites sing, they start complaining. God, where's our water? Where's our food that you promised us? They actually tell Moses in Exodus uh, chapter 15 and 16, if you were just going to starve us out here, why didn't we just die at the hands of the affairs, uh, of Pharaoh? And so then there's this back and forth with the Egyptian, or with, with Moses of, uh, of just being frustrated by people. I can't imagine what that's like. And so then God ends up... Uh, essentially going, uh, giving them chance and chance, performing this covenant with them that says, hey, if you do A, then you'll receive B, nation of Israel. It's the old covenant that we see all throughout the first 39 books of the Bible. And so God says, hey, if you sin, Israel, you will be punished. But he also walks through this list of blessings that if you do what is righteous in the eyes of the Lord and you follow my commands, in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, all these laws that we often skip over during our Bible reading plan, don't act like you don't, okay? And so Jesus says, God says, if you do that, A, if you do righteous things, you'll receive blessings. And they start to wander and go back and forth, and then they start begging God for a king, and God sends them judges, people to judge uh, the, the, the nation of Israel trying so hard not to give them a king because God knows what happens when people have a celebrity or a person that they idolize. That is not God. Eventually he gives in and they start having kings. And so we go into Joshua and Judges and Ruth where there's just judges and then First and Second Samuel with the different kings and kingdoms. And then we make our way to First and Second Kings where we pick up our story here. And there's still prophets that God is sending to try to get through to all of these kings that keep messing up for the nation of Israel. 
And that's where our story picks up in chapter 17 because Israel is going through this drought, this famine for three and a half years and they're forced to rely on God in a new way. Chapter 17, verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. Elijah called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? I want to stop there for just a second. So Elijah is a prophet, someone that God sends to different parts of the world to share uh, promises to share stories of deliverance, to perform miracles, to continue to share the good news, ushering in the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven for the nation of Israel that was going back and forth and back and forth constantly with sin and with shame and breaking the laws that God had established. So he sent Elijah during this time of drought and famine. And what we're going to see here in verse 14 in just a couple of verses is while the nation of Israel was experiencing drought and famine, verse 14 has this language that also hints at not just the nation of Israel, but also neighboring parts of the world. And it's so fascinating to me that Elijah goes, is commanded by God to go to this widow in Zarephath. is isn't really shared with why, but that this woman, this widow, is collecting sticks. And the first thing he asks is, can I have a drink, a little water in a jar so I may have a drink. And here's her response, who's probably experiencing some of the same suffering. Verse 11, no hesitation. As she was going to get it, he called and bring me, please, a piece of bread. Verse 12, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. I'm going to stop there for a second. What a crazy scenario that we have. First, she's out there collecting sticks to essentially make her and her son's last meal. We also have some really important details that I don't want us to miss. Um, this five-letter word widow, okay, that, that so, car carries so much emotion in that, in that word. So we know that she's experienced suffering and loss and has been walking through most likely this famine or this drought that the nation of Israel, even though they're not associated with them, that Elijah had experienced. And she's out there for this last meal, and she says, hey, all I've got, um, I can get you some water. My son and I don't need what we have left. All I've got is this, is this, this jug of oil and flour in this jar. That's all I have left to make one last meal. I didn't think what I was going to do with the flour on my fingers after I was done with it. <laughs> I don't want to wipe it on my clothes. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> Sorry, Jake, for your stage. 
That's all I have left for this final meal. And then this is what Elijah says. Very next verse, 13. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. One of the most common three-word sequence we have in all of Scripture. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, and I have those two words highlighted in my Bible. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have left and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And then verse 15, if you have your Bible with you, if not, um, I want you to take a picture of the screen or just, just make this your theme verse for the week. And maybe even the series. I, I could do an entire, I could write an entire book on this next sentence. Okay? Verse 15. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. And then three words. Okay? The very next three words. So there was. So there was. Food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. That sentence, I want to keep on the screen for just a second. It's so powerful. One, this woman doesn't even know who Elijah is and certainly doesn't follow the God that Elijah does. Okay, was not an Israelite, was not, was not born and raised in the religion, in the Jewish faith, outside of the city. And we even sense, and, and we'll read the rest of the story here in a second, we know that she didn't really have this... Re- relationship with God at all, but perhaps had heard some of the stories or known some of the language because of how she talks to Elijah. But her faith in this moment, think back for those of you who have kids. When you see your child suffering, it is you against the world at that moment. You would most likely be willing to break any laws for your child. Rob any store for one last meal. We were experiencing uh, influenza four weeks ago or three weeks ago with our son. That turned into dehydration. And it was like the worst four days of just us as parents. Just watching your two-year-old who can't really communicate, refuses to eat and drink anything. And we're having to force fluids down with syringes to just keep him going. And he's crying out, he's screaming, and it's just there's no chance if someone, some stranger came up to my door and said, hey, can I have some apple juice? Like, if that was all I had left and my son is suffering, no chance. And yet, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. And then those three words, so there was. I just want you to sit and reflect on those three words for a second. She could have so easily said no, gathered her sticks, made a fire, and went on to die. And yet, for whatever reason, her hospitality and her trust and her faith kicked in. 
Maybe it was one of those breaking points where like, what could it hurt? But because of her faith, again, this is less about a story of Elijah to me and much more about this widow who had seen much and gone through much and experienced much and was now on her death walk with her son to make one last meal. Because of her faith and her trust and her desperation even, there was food every day for Elijah and for her and her son, and the oil and the flour did not run dry. Next verse, for the jar of flour, verse 16, was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Verse 17, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? And then I have this verse highlighted. Again, so much emotion in this verse, and we'll stop here to break it down afterwards. Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? So much pain and suffering in that verse. Perhaps you've asked the exact same thing when you've seen someone suffer or when you yourself have suffered or when you've cried out to God and healing didn't come or restoration didn't happen or addiction wasn't broken or mental health or mental illness continued to run rampant in your life. That verse is one of the most realist verses you'll ever see in Scripture. Did you come to punish me for one of my sins? Because how often do we relate to that when we are going through something and that is our response to God or our first thought and it's honestly one filled with guilt and even perhaps shame. And what do you think's going through her mind? We don't know what she's referencing, but that's her response because it is such a human response. God, why are you, is this for when I did that? It really is just the statement of shame. I am bad. I am wrong. Something is eating her alive for decades and decades perhaps. Of, and that's her memory of, did my son die because of something I went through or something I chose to do? So much humanity in that one sentence. And yet, so there was. Continue on with me, Elijah. Very next verse, 19. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Verse 20. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Verse 21. Then Elijah stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. I love these next three words. This is a sermon about three words. The Lord heard. The Lord heard Elijah's cry. And the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Just 10 verses earlier, so there was. She trusted Elijah, this man she hadn't met, this God she didn't follow. And she went 
to go get her flour and her jug of oil and made what was left. And so there was, so there was. Now here we have the Lord heard. Her son was dead. But the Lord heard Elijah's cry. You see, it's not just about the faith of the widow, which is so powerful. And honestly, a little scary and crazy. I'm not sure anyone, I'm pretty sure, actually I'll say it confidently, I'm pretty sure none of us would do what she did in her shoes. Today's culture wasn't much better than, yet, than their culture. Might be a little worse. Do we help a stranger that's claiming that they can heal or provide and give up all that we have left? And then Elijah's faith here. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy lived. Very next verse. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Verse 24. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Apparently, the flower continuing to reappear wasn't enough for her to know. But had I been in the same situation, I think about the times and times again. Have you seen Bruce Almighty? You're driving by the billboards. It's like, God, if you just show me a sign. And it's like, the sign is just, God is real or something. <laughs> like, over and over again, how often, once we get what we want, and then the thing just kind of disappears, the pain disappears, and, and then the very next time something tragic happens, and we're like, God, where were you? Or how could you? It's so, there's so much you mean. I love this story, because, and I love the widow, because I love how real her responses are. So there was, the Lord heard. So there was, the Lord heard. And, and here, here's how I want to close today. Because yes, this is just a really cool story of a man who God sent to a stranger to provide and to heal. And it was through this widow's faith and hospitality. And we hear about this and we're like, wow, that's a really incredible story. God resurrected someone from the dead not named Jesus. Who would have thunk in, okay? And God continued to provide flour and oil. It's crazy. But Jordan, that was 2,000 years ago. That stuff doesn't happen today. Okay, and, and pastors all the time, you know, you, you hear them on talk about, the, we talk about the miracles, we talk about the healing, and, and we tend to avoid how, yeah, you know John the Baptist, uh, his head was cut off because God didn't save him, Okay. And you see all social media blows up and the things that go viral are, are of the, the miraculous things. And, but then in our lives, we're like, yeah, but that doesn't happen very often. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think suffering does happen more often than not. Reality is that we've probably been parents where we've cried out to God like Elijah. And we've asked, was our faith just not good enough that my child still suffered or died? Or we've been the widow and we went out to collect sticks, and the fire ended up happening, and we ended up having our last meal. And we've cried, and we've cried, and we're like, yeah, where's the proof? And, 
And friends, I've gone through so much suffering in my life with the loss of my dad and the crying out for resurrection, and it wasn't there, and battling suicide thoughts and, and anxiety and depression and crying out to God, and it didn't go away. But I did want to share a story of where I have seen miraculous power happen. And it's a personal story, one I wasn't planning on sharing until 11 o'clock last night. Uh, three years ago, my wife and I had been, Marissa and I had been trying um, to have a child for a while. And it was like the one, the one dream of Marissa's was to have a kid. And I know a lot of you have been there where you've tried and tried and tried and perhaps miscarriage after miscarriage. And it's a painful experience to see your wife month after month after month not have her dream come true. And I was sharing with a spiritual mentor of mine what we were dealing with, and uh, that was the conversation. Uh, four or five months later, we were at my mom's ordination down in, in, uh, in Anderson. And the spiritual mentor of mine, his name is Joshua Brandt. He's a pastor in Michigan. We were leaving the building. Never met my wife before. I'm walking out. I don't even see him take her to the side. But he pulls her to the side, just says, can I pray for you? She's looking like this widow at Elijah, like, say what now? <laughs> can I pray for you? And he prays for healing for her womb. And a week later, Marissa was pregnant. And now we have a little boy named Uriah. And he's still my spiritual mentor. I have never shared that story. I don't know if with anyone besides our family. But I've seen what happens when perhaps someone sends an Elijah to a story and has them pray or has them serve or has them share and miraculous things happen. And healing happens. I've also been the pastor who has attempted to pray and healing doesn't happen. And that's where faith comes in. You see, faith arrives in the so there was moments, the Lord, there, Lord heard moments, and even in the times where God says no moments. But really all to close is, you see, the widow had flour. She had a jug of oil, and that's all she had left. And she did not give up relying on a miracle. So friends, as we kick off this series and as we think about this life, we're going to be talking week, next week about another miraculous thing that Elijah does. Trevor in week three is going to be talking about suicide and depression because, yeah, this same prophet, this same guy who did that also asked for his life to be taken. And it's going to be a really cool series, and I want to invite you to buy in, but as you know, our, our mission statement here at Crossbridge, transforming lives by helping people take next steps with God. And so for this series, your next step is to make this a So There Was series. My word of the year is reach, where it comes from Mark chapter 5, when the woman who has had bleeding for 12 years and is suffering reaches out in faith to touch Jesus' cloak for healing. 
And so my challenge and next step for you this week, this month, this year, is make this a so there was year. That you allow God to give you so there was moments because you give him all you have. You give him the last year flower or perhaps the remaining pieces of your oil. Say, God, do with this. Moses, with his staff, parts the Red Sea. All he had was a stick. And he strikes it into the ground, and the Red Sea parts, and the Israelites were able to come through. Joshua marching around the walls of Jericho. All he had was feet and ram's heads and bones and gongs, and that's all he had. And the walls came tumbling down. Mary and Martha, they just had their kitchen. And they're there, and they're providing, and it got friends. So there was. Make that your 2024 anthem. That you allow God to move, so there was, because of your dedication to his word. Will you pray with me? Hey, God, thank you so much. Thank you for so there was moments. Thank you for hearing us. God, we know it doesn't happen every time. We know you say no quite a bit or not yet. And yet, God, we pray that those moments don't deter us from faith and trusting and hospitality. That we may have faith that move mountains. That you, God, would come and move in ways that, Lord, just like we sing at the end, that we speak Jesus. We speak Jesus. We speak Jesus over the hurt, over the sick. That, God, sometimes we're going to be people who are like the widow, who need a miracle, and God, sometimes you are calling us to be like Elijah, who we need to pray over people. I thank you for Joshua in my life, who was the Elijah. And I pray, God, that I would continue to be like that, too. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, George.